This podcast is designed for you to discover more about who you are, to challenge your old adopted beliefs, and to expand your awareness of what's really possible. I'm Adam Esco, and this is The Unspoken Agreements. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Unspoken Agreements podcast. I am your host, Adam Esco. Before I introduce this week's amazing guest, Alan Stein Jr., who really, really brings it, I'm going to share a little bit about myself for those who don't know me. I am a life and leadership coach, and I work with people in the workplace that just feel unfulfilled. They feel drained. They don't, they're looking at their future and they're like, ah, I just want something else. I, I feel like I could be doing something else that's going to be more exciting with my life. And they don't really know a lot of times what that is. And when we work together, I help giving them clarity on what that is and walk them to leading a different type of life, one that they could lead themselves to get whatever it is that they really, really want. And it's incredibly fulfilling for for each of us. It's a real partnership. So if that's something that interests you or someone you know, please feel free to reach out to me at adam at escocoaching.com. I also want to thank Truth Work Media, who produce this podcast and they do such a fantastic job. Podcasting is very prevalent right now and it's not going anywhere. And if you want someone on your team, whether you're a startup, you're a small business, you're a Fortune 500 company, they take care of all that and they really can uh, hold your hand if that if that's something you need. They are experts and I've had such an, a great experience working with them. Now to the main event Alan Stein Jr. You're going to hear Alan who doesn't hold anything back. I mean, this is someone that talks incredibly openly about his experience through his divorce and raising three kids through the process. And Alan isn't just getting by. He's thriving. He's someone that will challenge the status quo. You know, what? what is it that he could be doing better. You know, he is someone that's very introspective. He spent a lot of time in therapy, getting to know himself and talks about how that really helped transform his life. And he brings his transformation to his work, his family life, uh, and all the people he encounters. And it's really a breath of fresh air to listen to him and hear how intentional he lives his life. And he tells all the stories, so he's not going to be holding back on this. You're going to hear all the struggles he went through, all the mistakes um, that he does share, at least in this this episode. And it, you're going to be able to hear something that's going to directly relate to an experience that you're going through in your life. So I am so excited to share with you Alan Stein Jr. All right. It's my great pleasure to introduce Alan. Alan, thanks for taking the time to be here, buddy. No, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah. I, the, you know, we got connected through my dear friend, Brian Levinson, who, you know, raved about you. And through that connection, it kind of opened my eyes to hearing more about what you're about and, you know, kind of hearing what everyone's saying about you, which is you're an expert speaker, you're an expert storyteller. That's true. But what's really behind that, that really captivated me was just how, just how authentic you are, how open you are. You know, I, I put a, a form out to all my guests that are coming on and just be like, is there anything that you don't want to talk about just out of respect? And you, you say, I'm an open book. Like, no, you know, how do you get to a place you're, that you're an open book? That's, that's where I'm excited to go. 
Awesome. No, we'll have we'll have some fun doing that. And I, I will say that, you know, as I look back on my life, I, I just turned 44 this past January. Uh, and it really is kind of almost the tale of two people because I spent a good portion of my life afraid to be open and afraid to be vulnerable and wearing what I would call the proverbial clown mask where uh, to the outside world, I appeared uh, happy and fulfilled and like everything was great. But inside I was, I was hurting in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I found that I really started to resent that feeling and resent myself for feeling like I had to put this act on. So now, you know, I, I just own who I am, the, the good, the bad, and the the severely flawed in many areas, but I'm okay with it. And and I can say at this point, during the time of this recording, I've never been happier. I've never been more fulfilled. Uh, and I know this is off-putting to some people, but I don't mean it to lack humility. I've never been as successful as I am right now. And I think those things are all directly correlated and, and intertwined. And I think a big portion of the fact that I'm happy, fulfilled, and successful now is because I've allowed myself to be vulnerable uh, I've acknowledged that I've had some issues in the past and I've gone through a variety of different links and put in some serious internal work to improve those areas. And And life is pretty good now. And I think if there's anything that I can share that can help somebody else that might be going through something, whether it's similar or different is irrelevant, I'm more than happy to do it. I, I think uh, in this fraternity of life that we live in, we should all be trying to fill each other's buckets and help each other. And I certainly had plenty of people to help me and anytime I have an opportunity to to connect with someone like you and share with your listeners, I'm I'm more than happy to do it. Heck yeah, man. Love that. Love that. And I know a big part of you in your past had been as a trainer uh, going through the game of basketball, working with some of the most amazing basketball legends that we have in our game. And even though that would be very tempting for me to focus on because I used to have a very strong love for basketball, I really... I really want to get into the meat of this, which you're so sure. graciously open to sharing about, which is a little bit about uh, your divorce and what that time was like for you and your family. Can you paint the picture of what that time was like for you? Oh, most certainly. You know, I, I think with hindsight being 2020, I've been able to to really dissect and unpack where things went wrong. And uh, I'll say that right now, my, my ex-wife and I are very amicable, uh, but one would even go as far as to say we're good friends and we certainly make excellent uh, co-parents. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And I'm very thankful to have that relationship with her. You know, when I look back, I knew at a very young age that I wanted to be a father. I mean, I've, I've always loved kids, but my parents uh, were both elementary educators. Um, you know, I, I coached even when I was younger. I would spend my summers coaching at youth camps. Like I've always liked kids and I knew that I wanted to have kids one day. And as I got older and starting to approach my mid-30s, I know uh, women uh, uh, normally hear that ticking clock of it's time to have kids. But for some reason, as a male, I kind of felt the same thing and was like, I'm I'm ready to settle down and have kids. And uh, I met someone and her and I got along pretty well. And uh, looking back, I jumped into things very, very quickly. Uh, that was probably mistake number one. And that was within six months of our first date, I proposed. And then six months later, we got married. And then one year later, we had twin sons. So in, in just about two years exactly, I went from nice to meet you to married with twin sons. And that was a lot. And, and looking back, uh, her and I did not develop the type of friendship or connection um, or even figure out if we were a good enough fit to make that type of decision. So uh, it was rather impulsive at the time for both of us. And, and when we look back now with a smile, 
we realized that we probably weren't a great fit for each other. So I will say uh, that helped make the divorce process a little easier to swallow. You know, I know every single situation is different, um, but I preface that with, you know, there was no infidelity, there was no abuse, there was there wasn't anything other than two adults that came to realize that, hey, even though we've got some kids together, we're probably not a great match. We probably rushed into this prematurely and we might need to figure out how we should uncouple and divorce uh, in the best way possible. And since we both had that attitude, that certainly took a lot of friction away that I know, unfortunately, many people have to suffer through. Yeah, thanks for going in there. And what I, where my mind initially goes with that is, you know, rushing into something, you know, f- go into this together. I'm, I'm curious what the times were like when you started to realize, okay, I'm not really necessarily feeling the connection. We've got two kids. I know you're really passionate about your work. Can you paint a picture of what it was like during the times where there was that friction? What did it look like if someone were to put cameras in your house and what did it feel like internally? Well, I also want to preface it with the fact that not only did I feel like for a good portion of my life, I was wearing this clown mask on the outside. Part of that clown mask appeared to be somebody that was incredibly confident, Hmm. but inside was somebody that was really insecure and really fearful. And, and I think that's part of what caused me to be rather impulsive. I mean, I know this sounds rather overly dramatic and I don't mean it to be that way, but part of me was thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to find anyone else. Like, let's do this. Like, I found someone. We've gone on some dates. We've had a good time. I'm at the age where I want kids. You're at the age you want kids. Let's just do it because I don't know if I'm good enough to attract anyone else in my life. And while I didn't say any of that stuff on a conscious level, that was really what was deep rooted into me. So part of it was, you know, I need to hold on to what I have because I don't know if I'm going to keep this forever or if anything else will come along. So that was part of what made things impulsive. And then what I think added to it, we both were fearful, we both were insecure, and we both had very different communication styles. And we never, since we never built a friendship or a connection, we never really reconciled how to communicate openly and effectively with each other. You know, it's kind of that, it's that old adage, you know, where if a woman says she's fine, She's not really fine. Like she's just saying that. And I say that somewhat in jest, her and I joke about it because I would ask how things are and she'd say, well, I'm fine. And I just took that to mean she was fine. And I just kept on going about my, my day and I'd pour into my work and I'd be with my kids and, and, and didn't even realize that, that I was, you know, we were eroding our connection together. And the more time that passed with poor communication or miscommunication or no communication, uh, the wider that wedge got. And it just got to a point where we were basically just kind of platonic roommates that, that shared children. Uh, at this point, we had a third. So we have twin sons, Luke and Jack. And then I had my daughter, Lila, uh, who's two years younger than the boys. And now we've got three kids and just really weren't on the same page. We, we didn't have a friendship. We weren't mentally, physically, or emotionally connected. We didn't even know how to communicate the fact that we weren't connected. And I think my solution to that was just kind of going numb. And I poured all of my attention into my work and into the kids. Two two very important pillars to me, but I drastically neglected the third pillar, which was my wife at the time, and certainly paid the cost for that. I mean, the 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 resentment between us grew, uh, the platonic feelings grew, and and I think that's that's what the cameras would have seen. Uh, yeah. They would have seen probably more apathy and disinterest than anything else. I mean, we we weren't yelling and screaming at each other. I mean, we certainly disagreed on certain things, but we weren't fighting or picking at each other. It was just kind of like, Distance I'm going to do my thing. 
Exactly. Well said. And I think part of what what added to that, I mean, still to this day, my parents have been married for 45 years and her parents have been married for 50 years. So divorce was not quote unquote normal to us. So I don't think it even dawned on us that that was an option. It was just kind of like, hey, you get married and you just ride it out. And sometimes you're in a marriage that's not that fulfilling and oh, well, that's the decision you made. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I kind of looked at d- divorce as a failure. And I certainly never wanted to associate myself with failing at something. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast we could talk about. Yeah. But um, I think both of us just said, all right, this is the way it is. And I even rationalized with myself, like work is good. My kids are good. Two out of three ain't that bad. I'm like, Alan, <laughs> don't be so selfish to think that you deserve three for three, man. Just ride it out. And I give her full credit and I'm so thankful that she was the one that brought it to my attention and to our attention and just basically said, look, I've had enough. Uh, We both deserve to be happier than this. This isn't working. I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember that was like a a cold bucket of water on my head because I didn't see that coming. I should have. I mean, it was as clear as day. And if you did put cameras in and I watched the video back, it would have been really obvious. But for whatever reason, I was so numb that I just didn't pay any attention to it and just decided to keep on trucking. So uh, I give her full credit to bringing it to my attention that we had a problem. And I give her full credit to encouraging us both to go in and get some therapy and some counseling, uh, which was the biggest turning point in my life, mm. um, which I'm so thankful for. So it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I am an eternal optimist and a positive guy, but I can look back and say that my failed marriage resulted in the two best things that have ever happened to me in my life. One is my children, and I lump all three of them in as one thing. And the other mm. is it led me to therapy, which gave me a newfound sense of self-awareness and emotional intelligence that served me in every way possible. So one thing that looks bad on paper, a divorce, actually was the, the conduit and the spark to the two greatest things without question that have ever happened to me. Oh, I mean, it's incredible the way you're talking about it, you know, reflecting back with this idea and almost like you said it in quotes like this idea of selfishness right like i i should be happy because i have two out of the three things i've got my kids i got my business and by the way if the marriage is imperfect that's okay because that's what i signed up to so i just gotta you know truck through it this whole yep this whole stigma that divorce is a failure and therefore i'm a failure um what i'm curious to hear about is what your thoughts were when you started into couples therapy or the stigmas you had around that and what were your what were your goals when you guys went into that were you like thinking like let's give it one more shot or you know there there's something still here or what what was that time like for you well before i answer that which is incredibly insightful and the way that you just summarized things was perfect i just want to touch on something because i don't want to forget it uh, since then i've learned that there's a difference between failing at something and being a failure. Mm. Uh, I fail at things all of the time now, and I'm actually okay with it because I I intentionally try to stretch and reach for things, and I have no problem with failure now. Now, that's taken some serious internal work to rewire Mm. uh, the way that I used to view failure. Um, But in my past life, pre-therapy, I mean, I've got the post and pre-therapy. If I failed at something, the language I would think to myself was, I'm a failure Mm. because I failed at this. So yeah, I had a failed marriage, but I'm far from being a failure. And in fact, uh, depending on how you you define failure, I'm sure I failed at two or three things already today. And you and I are just recording this at 2.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. I'm sure I've had some missteps and some mistakes, but that's all part of the process. Love and that. once I was able to have some serenity oh. and peace with the fact 
that I can fail at something and not be a failure. Just like I can make a bad decision, but not be a bad person, uh, it's important to be able to create that, that dissonance between the two. But to get back to your question, so uh, she went in for therapy by herself first. Uh, a therapist had come very highly recommended from a friend of hers who was also going through marital issues. And she went in for about three or four months individually on a weekly basis just to kind of set the groundwork. And she was going in and certainly talking about some of her own issues, talking about our issues, the marriage, everything. Uh, and then eventually the therapist said, okay, um, if he's open to it, it's time to bring this knucklehead in because I've heard everything I can hear about him. I got to meet him face to face. <laughs> and uh, I came in and did an individual session so she could get to know me. And the, within 10 minutes, she said, now, certainly I, I can't breach any confidentiality I have with yeah. your wife at the time, but let me just say you are nothing like the person that she described. Wow. And at that moment is when I realized that we all have a very biased lens on the way we see things and that uh, my ex... Uh, has a story and a version of what our marriage looked like. I have a story and a version of a version of what our marriage looked like. And then somewhere in between is probably reality or the truth or yeah. what actually happened. But it was at that moment that I realized that I had to own the fact that the way I was viewing things was very tainted and very biased to my own perspectives, philosophies, and so forth. And she's sharing all of this stuff about me and and I say this with a smile, probably didn't paint me in the best light. Yeah. And then this lady meets me and within 10 minutes realizes, you know what? This guy's got a good heart. He's a good man. Yeah, he's made plenty of mistakes and he's got more than his share of baggage, but this ain't the guy that she's describing. So that then and there, we knew that her version and the way she looked at things and my version and the way I looked at things were polar opposites. And we needed therapy to help bring us back to center so that we were at least talking about the same stuff and the old adage of apples to apples instead of apples to oranges. And yeah, we did the couples thing probably for six months. And then I chose to go by myself for another year and a half uh, because I realized how beneficial it was to me. And with the couples thing, we basically came to the logical conclusion that, look, we rushed into getting married and having kids. Let's not rush out. Like, let's see if there is something here. Let's see if we can build a friendship. Let's see if we can go back to square one and create a connection. And we gave that a valiant effort and came back and realized we weren't a good fit. Uh, we both acknowledged that had we dated for two or three years like normal people do, yeah. we probably would not have gotten married in the first place. And we were finally able to say that with peace of mind and with no regret because we both knew that had we done that, we wouldn't have the three children that we both love so much right now. So there wasn't any regret. And once that weight was lifted off, that it was okay for us to come to that realization, that's when things Oof. started to get much easier and much better. I mean, I, I won't say they were easy, yeah. but they were certainly easier. Uh, so we feel great about the fact that we gave it one more valiant effort and realized that our decision to uncouple or divorce was actually the correct one. Yeah, it's like at that point you're like you you, you gave it your all. There's what doubts are there left? You know, once you put yes. when you feel like you put your effort in there, I could feel how you'd get a piece from that. Just that knowing uh, that we really tried, then that that could be phenomenal. I, you know, I I love couples therapy. My wife has been going for years. I think there's a awesome. stigma around this that just deserves a little bit of light. That yes, like it means, like you said, means something about you, like something flawed, and there's some shame, and that you got to keep it quiet. And the truth is, you're learning more about yourself. You're learning how to communicate. You're learning how to reconnect. Whatever stories each of you may have, it's not easy sometimes. It's a you know, it's a real uh, 
it's really getting out of your own head and out of your own story and identity. But it, it, if you find the right person, it could really, it could really be instrumental. Oh, it can be, it can be life changing. And that uh, I would say that whether it's couples therapy or individual therapy, the, the same would be true. And, yeah. you know, I, I think the first is simply the acknowledgement that uh, if you are listening to this right now, you are a human being. And if you are a human being, you are flawed. <laughs> now, to what, to what degree, everybody's going to be a little bit different. And, but I, I learned also through therapy not to play the comparison game that, you know, my woes and my troubles might seem trivial to someone that's gone through things a hundred times worse. But that doesn't mean these things aren't impactful to me. It doesn't mean they don't have a negative effect on me. So uh, I just stopped playing the comparison game. And, and that's what therapy can do. Uh, yes, I think there's a huge stigma around it. Uh, especially for males, yeah. you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of looked down their nose at me and was kind of like, you know, you're paying to go talk to someone about your feelings. Right. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. And it's the best money oh, I've ever spent um, because I'm not talking to a random person. I'm talking to somebody that's been trained to do this. Just like I was trained mm -hmm. to train basketball players. This is someone that can understands my understand my patterns of behavior and and the decisions that I'd made and how all of those things accumulated to the person I am today and can help me get some clarity and some awareness on those things so that I can shine the light and figure out hey a good portion of this undoing is my own fault you know I, I think what happens a lot of times in couples therapy and I, I certainly don't want to paint everyone with the same broad brush but I think it happens a lot is both people go in going, if this person would just do this 100%. or not do this, everything would be fine. And it's all external. It's all about what they're doing or not doing. And very, very rarely, at least initially, does someone come in and go, you know what, let's dissect my childhood and all of the baggage I brought to this and see how those contribute to the decisions that were made that also helped this thing unravel. Yeah. And that's what therapy does. It gets you to take ownership you know, anytime I would start going down the track of complaining about something my ex was doing or not doing, yes. she would quickly refocus that lens on me and being like, well, I know you didn't control what she did, but you controlled your response. Let's take a look at your response Ooh. and let's see how unproductive and unwise that response was. And now maybe take some ownership of that. And she always held me to the fire. Anytime I tried to blame somebody else or make an excuse or just sit there to complain, she'd be like, okay, are you done? Like, are you, are you done feeling sorry for yourself? Because yeah. as soon as you're done, now we can start to make some progress and make things better. And she always did it with humility and compassion. Mm. She never made me feel bad about complaining about something. She knew that's part of the process, but she also let me know that, hey, you can come in here and whine and cry about things, or you can come in here and hold yourself fully responsible and accountable for mm. all of the decisions you've made. And then and only then will you start to feel better and make some pro progress. And um, yeah, I'll be forever indebted to her for for being able to do that. And yeah, like I said, going to therapy, uh, continuing to go for a year and a half on a weekly basis after the couple's therapy ended is some of the hardest and most mm -hmm. gut-wrenching work I've ever done, mm -hmm. but absolutely some of the most valuable. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... I don't think self-awareness is a destination. I don't think mm -hmm. you can ever put your flag in the ground and say, I'm fully self-aware because I think it ebbs and flows. Uh, but without question, generally speaking, I'm more self-aware today than I've ever been in my life. And with that self-awareness and clarity, that's what's led to happiness, fulfillment, and as I said so brashly earlier, uh, what I consider extreme success. Yeah, it's, it's your superpower, right? You've already been through and can sit through the emotional pain. And yep. when through your sharing, one thing that came up was 
you know, not even that long ago, like a month or two ago when we're in our, our therapy session, I swear I brought up something that I was like, well, if she just changed this, then I would feel happy, right? Or, or whatever, something right. along those lines. And then all of a sudden, the two of the therapists, my wife is looking at me. I'm like, oh, yes, yep. I just fell into that trap. I'm causing this myself. Like, thank you for calling me out. I took it on the chin. Because there is something super powerful of taking responsibility. And I could hear that through your sharing. What do you receive when you are taking responsibility for what's in your life through everything? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think it helps lower entitlement. Uh, mm -hmm. As I look back, going back to being able to disassociate certain characteristics, like I don't think I was an arrogant person but boy, did I have some arrogant behavior as far as our relationship was concerned. I don't think I'm an entitled person, but boy, did I have some entitled behavior. Some of the expectations of what I thought she should be doing as my wife, uh, like it, it makes me sick to my stomach now that I thought that that was okay then, but I also have the self-compassion to realize, hey, at the time I was doing the best I could with the information yeah. and tools I had, and now I've got better tools, so it's clear as day. But I, I think that's, uh, a big portion of why that stuff is is so important is I hold myself fully responsible for everything in my life right now. Mm -hmm. My own happiness is completely up to me, my fulfillment, uh, whether or not I feel I'm doing meaningful work, whether I'm serving others, whether I feel successful, all of that stuff is up to me. And, and I readily acknowledge uh, that I don't control the economy. I don't control what's going on in politics. I don't control... Like if all of a sudden... Uh, tomorrow things were to take a turn for the worse and my ex-wife has a different opinion of me or our relationship, I don't control that. Hmm. But I now have the tools in place that I think I'd be able to come up with a more favorable response and do the best I could with that situation. And I wasn't able to do that now. And, and you said something very powerful about falling into a trap of placing your own happiness on somebody else. And, and I, I don't say this to you personally. I say this to myself because I've had to say this a thousand times. When you expect someone else to make you happy, that is by definition being selfish. Mm. Like you believe mm. that it is their job to make you happy. And it's the reason I bring that up is because I, I tell, talk to my kids all the time about that. Um, I tell them it's not my job to make them happy. Uh, it's my job to love them and support them. And certainly since they're still young, you know, provide food and shelter and all that good stuff. But ultimately, they have to figure that stuff out. And I will do anything that I can to create an environment to nurture them figuring out the things that make them truly happy and fulfilled, but I don't want them putting that on anyone else. Uh, I mean, I have twin sons. Uh, if you have twin sons that are almost 10 years old, you know that they wrestle a lot. They fight <laughs> a lot. Like they have a lot of physical energy. And inevitably when they're wrestling, one of them is going to be reduced to tears pretty soon. Like it's just inevitable. They, nobody ever taps out. And They'll be arguing and, and bickering and my son Luke will come in and be like, and I'll be like, what's wrong, buddy? And he'll be like, Jack's making me mad. And I'm like, no, he's not. No, mm. it, Jack, I can agree, can be annoying at times. Like, I get it. Oh, but you're so choosing powerful. to be mad. Yeah, you're not, he's not making you anything. Yeah. You're choosing mad as your response. Now, it might be an that? appropriate response and, and you're allowed to choose that response. Yeah. But just know that that is your response. It's not a default setting. And as soon as you want to choose something other than being mad, you have the right to choose that. And they probably don't quite conceptualize that at their age now, Beginning but seeds. I'm one of those guys that, yeah, you plant seeds as early and as often as possible. Nice. And if I would have known most of my life that no one else is responsible for making me happy, 
uh, boy, that would have saved a lot of heartache. Wow, that is so fantastic. That's That was just brilliant right there. Actually, two things came up for me when you were doing that sharing. One took me back to the time when you were going through the divorce. Maybe you were still living together. Maybe you're separate. And I know in your business, you're a high performer. I'm just curious what it, what it was like at that time for you to have to turn the switch on and perform when inside you're feeling just, I don't know what you're feeling, all kinds of emotions. Do you remember what that time was like and how you how you performed and did it affect your business? It was incredibly painful. And, and when I say painful, I mean that um, anytime we can't have alignment between our beliefs and our behaviors, there's going to be some type of internal conflict. And, and here I was on the inside, literally all I wanted to do was just stay in my room and pull the covers over my head and pout and whine and cry about things. But I couldn't. Uh, people were paying, put me on airplanes to go run clinics for 300 smiling kids. And I was able to compartmentalize it because I'd been practicing that for decades of my life. So I was able to do it. And I don't think my business suffered at all. In fact, I know that I've talked to many people that I did stuff for during that time period, and they in a million years would have never guessed that anything was wrong in my life. Mm. I mean, I was such a good actor yeah. uh, that they thought I was, you know, things were great, but it would just, it would cause the resentment to build up. And for me, it's incredibly painful to have to put on a fake smile and yeah. do a song and dance for two or three hours when you're hurting inside. And then the moment that clinic was over, I'd hop on a plane and I'd come back to what I was considering my miserable life, uh, which once again, that was my choice to frame it as mm. a miserable life. Mm. I mean, I had my health, I had wonderful kids, I had a great business. Yeah, I had a, a marriage that was struggling, but overall, looking back, my life was pretty decent but I was the one that framed it as such. So yeah, that was a really challenging time. And um, that's where, you know, I've just learned to embrace these things. And I'm, I'm so open about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's a talk that I give now professionally that I don't mention the fact that I'm amicably divorced and I'm proud of the fact that I have a, a great relationship with my ex-wife and we make great co-parents. Like I'm open about it. And it took a little while to get there. Yeah. Uh, and certainly... I'm smart enough to know that if someone's paying me a lot of money to be on stage to deliver a keynote on improving performance, that I'm not going to dovetail off down some rabbit hole and spend all of this time talking about something that's not appropriate. But I, I recognize all of this makes up the man I am today, and I'm fine with all of it. And you know, I've got plenty of mistakes ahead of me. I've got plenty of flaws still, but I just have such an awareness and ownership of all of that stuff now. And I've got the best connection that I've ever had with my children. I've got a great relationship with my ex. I mean, things are pretty darn good now, but it didn't come easy. It took a lot of work, uh, and that work was at times painful, uh, at times gut-wrenching. Uh, at times, it would have just been easier to go back to being numb. Uh, I think apathetic is one of the easiest things to become where you just don't care mm -hmm. because you know that caring is what leads to hurting. Because mm. when you care about something mm -hmm. and it doesn't go your way, it sucks. I mean, ask any athlete that loses the big game. It sucks. You put all of your time, blood, sweat, and tears into preparing and practicing and working out for this game and you lose? Like, that sucks. Yeah. But that's part of life. That's what also makes things interesting and fun if you're willing to embrace it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, that gets developed in an early age when you were sharing that. I was starting to think about my two boys, by the way. One of my son's name is Jack, so nice. I love that. Yeah, he's almost five. And it's like when we don't get what we want as a child, I don't know if that ever goes away. We don't get the outcome we want. We we throw an internal tantrum or we have feelings yes. associated with it. It's like, you know, this sense of, of freedom that we're missing or something. 
Yeah. And, and I nip that in the bud with my kids now. Like mm. I, I, I mean, I have this discussion with them verbatim, cool. you know, uh, Lila, you're allowed to be upset right now. Yeah. It's, it's like, you can be furious at me for not letting you get dessert. There's, I have no problem with that. It doesn't change the fact that I love you. And I know it doesn't change the fact that you love me. You can be as mad as you want that you're not getting ice cream. But here's what I want to ask you. How is being mad about that going to help you? You think that's going to convince me to give you ice cream? Because we both know that ain't going to happen. Uh, how is this actually going to help your situation? And ultimately what I want her to see, and, and she's still a little young to conceptualize that, but when you get angry at not getting what you want, the only person you're hurting is yourself. Mm. Like it's not changing the environment. It's not changing the outcome. It's no different than the, the player that yells at the referee for not calling the foul. Mm. It's over. They're not going to go back and call it because you got mad. All you're doing now is taking yourself out of a peak performance state, and now you're going to be even less on the next play because you're choosing to dwell on the play that didn't go your way. So, And I also recognize that the way I'm saying this to you and your listeners right now yeah. is in a very a matter-of-fact tone. Right. I'm making it sound like it's incredibly easy. There right. is nothing easy about it. <laughs> any of this. There is nothing easy about an eight-year-old processing the fact that I'm choosing to be angry because I didn't get ice cream, and it's probably in my best interest to choose a different emotion. Oh, I mean, totally. that's high-level stuff that even I at 44 can't always process in real time. So none of this stuff is easy. Trying to act, have someone be logical at a time when they're highly emotional. It's like this too, you just can't, yeah. you can't take it. That in. ain't happening. That ain't happening for anyone at any age. Your limit no. system. But uh, the acknowledgement there has just got to be so powerful, you know, acknowledging that first, you know, to, to let them feel what they want to feel. That's that's a real acceptance for them to uh, what well, has to be step one. Yeah. And I hear parents say this all the time. And and I've actually had to have a very uncomfortable chat with my own parents a few times. And and I love my parents to death and I know they love me, uh, but I don't parent my children the same way I was parented for yeah. many of the same reasons that we've already discussed. And, and I could remember times when my kids were younger and let's just use the same scenario. Somebody doesn't get ice cream and they're crying. And my parents would have two very different approaches to remedying that situation. Uh, my dad is kind of a jokester. Uh, so his goal would be to divert attention away from sadness and let me make them laugh. So let me make a, a fart noise with my armpit and see if that gets you to forget about the fact that you don't have ice cream. Mm, so his goal is kind of, yeah, distraction. Uh, yeah. My mom, all completely well-intended, would actually use guilt. And mm. she would say, you know, uh, please stop crying, Jack. You're making me sad. It's like, man, mm -hmm. mom, you can't say that to a kid. Like yeah. he's not responsible for you being sad. Yeah. That's your decision. Yeah. If you choose to be sad because a, a five-year-old is crying, that's on you. So please don't put that pressure on my children. I'm going to tell Jack that he's allowed to cry his eyes out. I don't care. He can do that, but it's not going to change the fact that he doesn't get the ice cream. And pretty soon he'll condition himself to realizing it doesn't make much sense to keep picking responses that don't serve me any positive purpose. So once again, I love my parents to death. Yeah. And I know they did the best they could yeah. with me with the tools that they had when I was growing up. But distracting someone or guilting someone out of emotions is not a great way to do things. It's okay to let your kids feel pain. It's okay to let them sit and be disappointed. Like they have to deal with that. And I see it happen all the time. I'm still very close to youth sports. You know, a, a kid gets cut from a team and the parents just keep telling them, rationalizing, like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, that coach is an idiot. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how good you are. They skirt everything other than the fact that the kid is allowed to be upset. Yeah. You know, yeah. if and when my kids get cut from a team, I can already tell you the conversation. The conversation is going to be, 
I'm sorry that you're disappointed. I know that doesn't feel good. I've been cut from teams too, and I know how gut-wrenching that can be. But here's what I want you to do. When you are ready, I want you to look back and think, was there anything else that you could have done to make that team? And if so, maybe you'll choose to use that as the fuel moving forward and try out again next year. If not, if you believe that you did everything that you could, then it's your decision whether to try out again next year or maybe find something that's better suited for you. But at the end of the day, you're not going to make an excuse about it. You're not going to blame someone else. And I'm not going to let you complain you know, outside of something that might be appropriate. You know, Let them sulk for a day or two because yeah. they're just kids. Yeah. But outside of that, that's the level of accountability they'll be held to. And it'll be the same thing when a, a boyfriend or girlfriend breaks their heart, when they fail a, a final exam that they thought they were well prepared for, when they get fired from a job, or if yeah. they ever go through divorce, it's going to be the same conversation. Right. And I feel comfortable having that conversation because it's the same one I have with myself every single day when things don't go the way that I'd like them to go. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Changing the paradigm from blaming things outside of you to taking personal responsibility that you were the cause of the results in your life. I mean, that is just so wonderful. And what I really appreciate about that sharing was for many people listening, it could be very difficult to have that conversation with your parents. And like you said, we're humans. Oh, it was hard. We're, we're flawed. You know, they're doing the best with the, the knowledge and the, the level of awareness they have. And that's what they probably had learned from somebody. But you're you're not saying like, that's just not the behavior you're going to show in front of your kids because you know something else that they may not yes. know. And I, and I tried to approach my parents with empathy and compassion and say, oh look, you know, I, I appreciate everything you've ever done for me, um, but I'm making a decision as a man to raise my children differently in certain aspects. Certainly some things I do the exact same. I felt those things went well, but others were different. And to my parents' credit, uh, they recognized the fact that I'm my own person and they they simply put their hands up and stepped back and said, okay, however you think it's best to handle this with your children, we'll certainly support. And it's okay if they disagree. Uh, there's mm. nothing wrong with people disagreeing. I don't know why we live in such a world that thinks that just because you disagree means you're disagreeable. Like mm. we can, you and I can look at anything, yep. uh, whether it's the best sports team or a political view or anything else. And we should be able to have an a professional, civil, and intelligent debate or discussion about it and just respect that the other person sees things differently. And to me, that that probably is the major umbrella which everything underneath that is causing most of the problems in the world at present is that people aren't willing to be tolerant and open enough to hear other people's perspectives and just be okay with the fact that people can see things different. And, you know, in this case, I mean, when I say my children, I don't mean singular, my ex and I, they're our children but really the only people whose opinion matters is ours as their parents. And we want to give our kids the tools that they grow up to be happy, well-adjusted um, contributors to this world. And then they'll have the right to raise their own children if they choose to have them however they want. And if they ever need to have a conversation with me to tell me that the way I did things is not of their preference, then Fantastic. I'm going to take that with a grain of salt as well. And, yeah. and yeah, and I, I think that as parents, that's really all we we should expect from ourselves and from our kids. Wow, that's great. And as we wrap up the last couple minutes, you know, just something that I have to acknowledge from what you just said is, you know, changing the game from generation to generation starts, in my opinion, with the self, with understanding yeah. and separating the self in quotes from whatever it is that the stories you have behind it. And once you do that, then you're going to be able to sit in a conversation with someone and have a real disagreement, a real discussion with. And 
and obviously you've done the work to to really understand yourself and what who you are and who you're not. Um, getting back to that for a second, the the last question I, I want to ask you is just a conceptual question. I know you sure. said you get together with your ex, you do holidays together sometimes. What's that like for you guys? What's that like for your children? How often does this uh, do, do your kids talk about you and your and your ex spouse? You know what's what's fascinating is, um, and this is kind of bittersweet. I mean, we've created such a good co-parenting relationship um, that there still to this day is some confusion with the kids. They constantly ask me if we're ever going to get back together or if I'm ever going to move back home with them. And it's, I mean, it is bittersweet because one side it, it does sadden me a little bit that that they feel like there's a little bit of hope for something that's that's simply never going to happen. Um, but at the same time. Uh, that her and I can get along well enough that there is some confusion uh, just <laughs> yeah. is pretty cool. Because again, my kids are not 18, they're 10 and yeah, eight. So it's yeah. okay to have that confusion. And her and I are very diligent about creating what we think are appropriate boundaries. So we do Christmas together. Uh, we do the kids' birthdays together. Uh, I usually take the kids to visit my parents for Thanksgiving. So we do things, I mean, there's nothing really hard and fast rules, but we don't spend a ton of time collectively together. Uh, we always share a few moments whenever uh, I'm dropping the kids off or picking the kids up. You know, this isn't something where I'm in the front yard honking the horn and she sends the kids out. Like I come in and see how she's doing and ask how work's going. And, and I want the kids to see us mm. have these civil type of exchanges because that's important. Uh, but we also don't want to increase confusion with them. So we're not right. going to go taking a vacation together and they come back, you know, we come back from paradise and they wonder when we're going to get married again. So we try to make sure that we have those boundaries. And, and one thing that I'll say that's the next major hurdle we'll have to come across is uh, we've never introduced anyone that we've been dating to the children yet. So I've been divorced for over five years and I've had a couple of six month relationships here and there, but I've never introduced anyone I was dating to the kids and she hasn't either. Uh, so we're both well aware that that's still a big unknown that we'll have to cross, uh, especially if one of us gets serious with someone else. And now you've got to figure out you know, if that person has kids, how will this blended family look? How do we do holidays now? Like so far it's been smooth sailing because the only person that shows up for Christmas dinner is me. Mm -hmm. And we're all used mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. When it comes time to, well, can I bring someone else to Christmas dinner or can I bring someone else and their kids to Christmas dinner? Um, I know we're going to have some more uh, work to do, but now I've, I've got the, the promise of both of us having done the work to be able to approach those things when needed in a much better fashion. So we might still have some resentment, some disagreement over who and when and what to do, but I know that we'll be able to handle it in a very loving and compassionate and caring way. And that's what's most important. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, honestly, I could talk to you about this, about so many more things. I had a thousand questions left unsaid. We'll have to connect another time, but I definitely I would, want- I would love that. And, and yeah. certainly, you know, um, I appreciate you you being kind enough to, to allow us to wrap up. If you get some feedback from listeners, if there's more things they want us to talk about, or if they want to pivot and talk about something other than this, like I, I, I feel a great connection yeah. with you. I, I appreciate how well you facilitate these different conversations. Uh, I'd be happy to jump on again if you feel it's warranted. Oh, this was a blast. I mean, this was as easy for me as it gets. And, and I honestly am just itching. I'm surprised there's not more expletives coming out of my mouth. When I usually, when I get excited, I start cursing a lot. But, <laughs> uh, but honestly, I just want to give you a minute to uh, promote yourself. Anything that you want to promote, promote. I really want to give you a plug. And I and also want to say thank you for taking the time to be here. This was, this was a lot of fun for me. 
Oh, no, my pleasure. Well, um, if anyone's interested in my speaking services or anything I do on social media, uh, it's allensteinjr.com and I'm at Allenstein Jr. on all of the major social handles. I do mention my kids and I talk a lot about the advocacy for making the youth sporting experience better for children, as well as all the stuff I just talk about as far as high performance for folks in sports and business. Uh, and I do have a book out. It's called Raise Your Game. Uh, and you can go to raiseyourgamebook.com if you want to check that out. Uh, and I certainly share some of this stuff uh, in that book as well. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your listeners. And I do very much look forward to connecting with you again soon. Totally. Thanks, Alan. We'll put those in the show notes. Thanks so much Perfect. for taking the time, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If something resonated with you and you'd like to share it, please email me at adam at escocoaching.com or send me a message on social media. 